It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. So, do you ever feel trapped by experiencing challenging feelings over and over again, sometimes without realizing it? Or do you find yourself thinking, why is this happening to me again? Or why do I always feel this way? You are not alone. In today's special guest, Dr. Radul Weininger's book, Heart Medicine, How to Stop Painful Patterns and Find Peace and Freedom, at last, she shows how to identify your emotional and behavioral patterns through the lens of loving awareness without self-judgment or blame, learning to hold yourself as you would a dear friend with space and grace. Drawing on decades of experience as a therapist and meditation teacher, Radul Weininger, MD, PhD, helps readers understand the trauma behind their patterns and then offers 12 simple steps to work toward healing through guided practices. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about her book, Heart Medicine, um, and I am excited to bring her to you, and we're going to get started. Good, good morning, Rodol. Oh, I got to unmute you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Okay, good morning. How are you? Thank you. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. It's a lot earlier for you than it is for me. <laughs> um so I think it's best to start by giving a background of what your personal traumatic history is from, you know, early childhood on so that others can relate to this experience. Would you share that with us? Sure. Um, I like to. Well, I was born in post-war Germany, and, uh, you know, many of you probably know this word, post-transgenerational trauma, where trauma is on in in the family. So my grandfather was um, a history teacher and was prosecuted by the Nazis, and then my mother was a medical student, medic on the East Front, and a very young girl. And so I was born in 1957, but I was born out of wedlock in this refugee um, Catholic family. And so my mother, a young doctor then, hid me in an orphanage for two years to kind of um, hide me from her family. And then she pretended I was adopted. And wow. so, men, 
most of my relatives actually never found out that I'm blood related to them. And so they were kind of awkward with me. You know, it's like I think um, came from and um, I think as a child that just puts you off balance. It actually put me off balance. Plus my mother, uh, um, a doctor then, she worked 12 to 14 hours a day. And so I just was remembering standing at the curbside waiting for her. And um, and it just was an awkward family uh, to, to be in. You know, I just really felt, I think looking back, I was really stressed. You know, I was a stressed little kid with a lot of, um, was sick a lot. When I was six, seven, I had some kind of mysterious heart uh, problem that put me into bed for four months and um, always fainting and this and that. And then um, I was in this Catholic boarding school. And actually, my mother had then a boyfriend who uh, was quite a narcissist. So I got a little bit of taste of that narcissistic um, person in your house that you kind of are walking on eggshells around. And then I um, got into the sporting school when I was 11 for four years um, with Catholic nuns. And they were, I would say they were grumpy. You know, they were grumpy, unhappy people. And they didn't really give us any freedom or much running around. And um, when I got out of there as a teenager, I was, um, you know, a bit of an unhappy teenager, you might say, but also rebellious. You know, I really rebelled and um, I had good girlfriends, and then actually some nice boyfriends who I would say their families saved me. And um, But I just remember really questioning everything about, let's say, being a post-war German, you know, what happened in the war and uh, the whole German... Uh, what would I say, Wirtschaftswunder, this is the economic miracle, you know, the upturn in the maybe late 60s, 70s. I just thought, what are we doing here? You know, we we ought to look at ourselves. So I became like a really, you might say, existentially inclined teenager. And... Um, I was a big reader, and then uh, then I went really because of a lot of family uh, pressure to medical school. And but honestly, I hated science, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I really did. But I, I did. but it was really hard, and I got sick in the middle. And that's when I went after two big car accidents. I went uh, and two months in the hospital. I went with my boyfriend to Sri Lanka, and uh, I just found their Buddhist meditation. And I dragged my boyfriend into a monastery, and um, 
And I just really, that was 1980, I really um, felt for it. It was just the right thing for me to find uh, some relief from the uh, pain I felt. And, you know, I, I just felt my ego, you know, and an ego can be big or it can be inflated in pain, too. It was definitely um, a burden. And so getting a little bit of relief and seeing that a little bit more in um, relative terms was really helpful. Around the same time, I started there after that um, these car accidents because I had a hard time driving after that. So I started therapy with a wonderful therapist. And so since then, you know, probably when I started meditating 42 years ago, but probably the first 25 years I did psychotherapy and meditation side by side. And I have to say it was like a re, um, remaking of myself, even though I have to say again my family kindly about either therapy or meditation. That was just not what they were into. They actually thought it was dangerous. They were very scientific and so, but I stuck to and managed to come to America. I needed these 6,000 miles buffer zone. And then I went back to school and got my PhD in clinical psychology. And I just really loved my job as a clinical psychologist and I also teach a lot of meditation. I started a non-profit, and uh, I talked to a local retreat house here, and when that was destroyed in a mudslide, started this non-profit, and so now I'm teaching mindfulness in schools, public schools, and um, we are giving a whole array of free meditation classes that you can find at Mindful Heart Program or on my website, wadleyweininger.phd.com. And they're free. Anybody can join anytime. It's very, we try to make it very easy. And so I find in this time of COVID, where, and almost war now, I would say, <clears throat> I think what happens that sometimes our I call them LERPs, our long-standing recurrent painful patterns get triggered by what's happening in the outside world. And I know you had big things happening over there in, in Florida. Yes. Uh, Buildings crashing down. And, uh, and yes, we had a lot going on here. Um, can you elaborate a little more on LERPs or L-R-P-P-S? So it's long-standing recurrent painful patterns of hurt. Um, and yeah. can you talk about why they're so crippling for us? I wanted to say that <clears throat> that work came about in a discussion with my mentor of 20 years, Jack Cornfield. You might know him. Sure. He's a meditator. And mm -hmm. so he's broadly... Find, we talked about complexes. I think Freudians and Jungians call those kinds of things complexes. And he said, find a new word. And so I said, 
long-standing recurrent painful patterns. And he said, that's too long. <laughs> and then I said, how? Uh, because it feels like you get lurked, you get sliced, you know, it's anomatopoeia, you know, it, it feels as it sounds. And then my Shambhala editors really liked it. But uh, there are these long-standing wounds, these patterns of hurt that are uh, in our um, psyches, in our body. You know, they are these not and they have a physical component. Um, they have an emotional component. Um, they often they are with mental component like rumination, nightmares, flashbacks, uh, behaviors that we repeat, ways of relating, and even sometimes events. Um, when I researched these lerps, and I also looked to the East, what in Buddhist and um, Hindu philosophy was said about them. They're called samskaras or shakaras in Pali over there. They think they're going over lifetimes. You know, they're very, they're these seeds in our psyche that when the right causes and conditions come up, they come to bloom. But even if you think that just from childhood, that's fine. You know, we can just take that uh, past life as a metaphor for ancient. <laughs> but um, and but we know nowadays that sometimes these wounds, these patterns, these lurks are transgenerational. They're on through um, through uh, generations actually as methylations on our genes. You don't have to remember that. But, you know, <laughs> we do make alterations on our genes. And so um, I just remember um, working when I lived in San Francisco, it's just maybe 28 years ago, uh, or, yeah, 28, 30 years ago, a lot with women who were sexually abused and just hearing these stories and interviewing them and how this was passed on through generations and uh, these patterns. And they're probably patterns of behavior and, uh, and it feels, it's just uncanny how events seem to happen to people over and over again. And I think much of it is, as they say, in our heads, but maybe not all of it. Well, I would imagine that, um, you know, we're influenced by the generation before who raises us for the most part. And if they don't heal, heal these wounds of the past, then the children aren't going to heal them. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so, so you didn't have, I mean, you suffered from attachment issues, bond issues, and how were you able to compensate for that? Well, my, as I, I think I had a real will to live. And also to be useful. Maybe that's a bit my 
book for German legacy. I wanted to make sure this kind of suffering didn't happen ever again. Also, the suffering that I experienced, you know, it's like I see often a lot of people who suffer from abandonment and rejection and, you know, uh, narcissistic spouses or parents or bosses. And, um, and so I think there was this real desire to be of help. And um, actually, it's interesting. That's my the 12th step here in my book. Service, sharing our healing sets us free. And I think uh, Judith Lewis Herman, who wrote this book, wonderful book, Trauma and Recovery, calls it a survivor mission. So I think uh, we have to do a lot of other work before and besides that. But for me, maybe that was um, in some ways the saving grace, you know, that I felt, you know, I'm not just doing this for myself. Also, I thought if I ever have a family and children, and I do have now three adult children who are really wonderful friends, um, uh, I have... I have to do a lot of work to not pass that on. You know, it was very clear to me that um, what we don't hear, we repeat. Mm. And yes, yeah. I mean, I um, I did the same thing. You know, I turned my past into um, giving and helping. You know, I I changed that, um, and I stopped the legacy in my family. So oh. even though I. Even though I have two sisters, they didn't have children. I'm the only one. So I was it. Um, I raised two children who are adults also now, and um, they did, they're doing very, very well. So the legacy has stopped, which is so important. It is. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful contribution, no? Yes, yes. Now, if we, so if it's carried in the genes... And we heal our traumas. Does that stop the genetic um, carrying through the genetics? Does that stop that? You know, I don't know. I think the research on transgenerational trauma is fairly new. And... um, I suspect that they don't have yet longitudinal studies. Mm. To, okay. You know, but maybe I just don't know the news literature on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that's fine. Absolutely fine. Uh, you say that um, psychologists have established that certain attachment patterns follow various types of early experiences. The first three years in a child's life are crucially important in this regard. A disruption caused by a separation between mother and child, neglect or abuse, or an inability of a caregiver to bond with their child is traumatic and can cause children who have experienced these traumas to have painful difficulties in their relationships later in life. This is so very true. What is it about uh, the first three years of a child's life that makes the child 
so vulnerable to this kind of wounding? Well, little children are incredibly vulnerable. You know, I think during this time from 12 to 18 months is when our sense of self is established. You know, it's like before 12 months, little children really don't have a sense of I or me, you know, or mine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so... um, when we often think we are born with this sense of self and we are clinging for dear life to it, but it's actually something that is slowly constructed during the first few years of life. And um, and I think this sense of self is very influenced by whether we are cherished or not or whether we are neglected and um, I have to say though you know before it was Freud who talked and it was Jung who talked and then there were many others and now it's attachment theory which is the newest um, thing and I think um, we have to see that this research isn't everything you know, in 50 years, you will find out something else. And even though the first three years are incredibly crucial, I, from my own um, history and, you know, having been in very Freudian psychodynamic uh, training, it can feel really claustrophobic. You know, can, am I now done in with <laughs> because I had this childhood? And so I wanted to say that that isn't true either. Find a measure of freedom. And the Dalai Lama was once asked, uh, do you believe in nature or nurture? I think he asked, uh, he was asked by the psychiatrist Howard Cutler. And the Dalai Lama said, well, if everything was just nature or nurture, that's when you lost the key and it can be only found under a street light when it's dark. <laughs> so there are many other possibilities, you know, why some people are able to um, pull through and uh, are have incredible resilience. Does it make sense? It makes so much sense to me uh, because people always ask me, you know, when I explain to them that narcissistic personality disorder is formed in childhood, they always say, well, do, am I a narcissist? And, mm-hmm. and then why? Why am I not a narcissist if it forms from, you know, this genetic predisposition and this kind of um, nurturing? So, and, there, and you just sort of said that there's, come into this world with some kind of instinct or survival or strong determination that is not formed, I don't think, in childhood. I think it's just a part of who we are. Yeah, and maybe we come with different, as they say that in Buddhist psychology, causes and conditions. And um, I think sometimes 
it's, it's interesting, you know, because I started meditating and going to therapy around the same time, 1980, and uh, maybe therapy 79, but anyhow, it's around the same time. And um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm really grateful for that because I think it always gave me two different perspectives. And uh, they often didn't match, you know, because psychology, as amazingly helpful as it is, it can also be a little bit reductionistic. You know, we can feel we know it all. <laughs> There's research about it. And I think it's important to leave a little bit of space for mystery and for the mystery. You know, as I said it in my book, um, there is um, a greater container of awareness as a field quality that um, we don't really often integrate into our psychological training. You know, we, we are trained usually, we have to keep this really apart. Even though not now anymore. I think mindfulness is quite a accepted modality now. But, you know, I just think there are different perspectives. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. And what I know um, about cognitive behavioral therapy is that it does not help with the particular kind of trauma I deal with, I work with, because um, it does not identify, it does not allow the, vic the, the person to identify as a victim with no responsibility in the situation. And um, so when people who have been abused this way go to a cognitive behavioral therapist, they end up getting worse because they're made, they feel very guilty about, you know, they're made to feel guilty about what they're going mm. through, especially if it's a family situation. But um, so there, there is, there's different approaches and sometimes you're right. And I have psychologists who come to me for their issues and they tell me that what I do is they've never been trained to do. It's just not in the education. So there is, there is a lot um, to be learned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never gravitated to cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> I, I was basically psychodynamically and gestalt and uh, mm -hmm. I've loved working with I actually love Jungian psychology a great, you know, and what I learned from Buddhist psychology. And so it's it's coming all together and yes, it is important that we we can have true empathy for ourselves. That we don't blame the victim. Yes. I so important. You talked about that, you know, and there's definitely a time, and actually I think Buddhist philosophy sometimes doesn't do that well there either, to just really allow for that therapeutic relationship where, you know, the person who has been uh, wounded can just really feel safe and, and you know, 
express what they feel on this very deep level and learn to feel some self-warmth, self-kindness, self-empathy, self-passion. Because so often the people who brought us up were not very kind. That's true. And this is a that's a perfect lead-in to um, one of the meditations or one of the practices that you share in in your book, Heart Medicine, is um, a self-compassion practice. <clears throat> and I was wondering if you would go through that with us so we could all maybe do that with you. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I love to do that. So make yourself comfortable. in your chair or lying down, however you like to be comfortable. Let yourself settle into a comfortable position. Let yourself settle into your body. You might feel the touch between your body and the chair, the ground. And feel your body as a whole, supported by the ground beneath you. Place your hands on your heart, hand on top of your left hand. And remember a time when you felt resentment towards yourself. When you felt impatient, frustrated, blaming, unforgiving towards yourself. Feel breath flowing gently through your heart. and flowing through very softly. Notice whether there's constriction, aching, or numbness. Be aware whether you feel self-blame, self-rejection, or self-condemnation. When you're ready to do so, 
with the intention to regard yourself with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Forgiveness. And you may say the following words silently to yourself. May my heart be full of loving kindness. May I be safe and protected. May I heal in body, mind, heart and soul. May I tend to myself during this trying time with loving care. May I offer compassion to myself, especially when I feel vulnerable. May I hold the fear and trepidation I may feel towards myself with tender care. May I regard myself and mistakes I made with warmth and understanding. May I let go of the resentment I hold towards myself or hold the intention to do so when I'm ready. May I regard my shame and guilt and insecurity with gentleness and understanding. And may I be willing to let them go. May I treat myself as a dear friend with warmth, compassion, and forgiveness. Keep your hands on your heart while and feel the ground beneath you and feel that the earth is breathing with you. Wow, that was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. So um, if you're listening and you really, really like that, you can either, um, you know, listen to this show again and write it down. But it's all these wonderful meditations and things like, you know, and um, what what did you call this? You called it a practice. Meditations and practices, yes. Yes. Um, They're all in um, Radul's book, Heart Medicine. Uh, So if you pick up a copy of that, you will have a host, a lot of her um, practices and meditations. Listen, 
Can I add something to that? I would love for you, you to. Know, I, yeah, I recorded all these uh, practices professionally and, uh, you know, number by number. And on my website, wadleywininger.phd.com or mindfulheartprograms.org, or they are on the Shambhala website. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so you can what... listen this in my voice, uh, if you like, for free. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. And <clears throat> okay. Um, I'm just trying to see where I want to go with this. Meta, what is meta-awareness? Well, meta-awareness is um, <clears throat> being aware meta, of the wider world. M-E-T-A, awareness? M-A-T-A. Jubilusia? Yeah. So, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Yeah, okay, we are connected. Um I don't know what happened. Rudu, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Thank you. Okay. Let's just so wait a minute. Rudu, do me a favor, and um, I, you can probably hear me. So hang up yeah. the phone and dial back in. And let's okay, try I'm that because we can't hear you at all. Okay. She heard me. <laughs> this book is so wonderful. Uh, it's so sensitive and caring in regard to different ways to heal trauma. It is very gentle. Just as, okay, let's see. Let's see if she can. Okay. Rodol? Can you hear me now? Are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Hello. This has actually happened before on Blog Talk Radio, where all of a sudden I cannot hear my guest. Oh. <clears throat> Can you hear me now? Try one more time. Okay. I'm so sorry about that. I really am. We have so many more things to talk about. Um, Rudol, you know, I'm going to reschedule you to come back and talk with us because I don't know what's going on. It's a technical difficulty, and I have no way of fixing it. So I'm going to email you, and we can get together. We could find another time to do this, maybe another day this week, in fact, because I don't know how to fix this. So I'm going to end the show. And then we will redo it as as soon as possible. So for those who are listening, uh, please check my Blog Talk Radio calendar and see what's coming up. The show will be posted again as soon as we have it scheduled, and you'll be able to listen. Okay, Radul, I'm so sorry that this happened. Um, wait one second. Can you hear me now? Okay. Hello. I'm going to say goodbye to you and my audience. 
my listeners, and um, may joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to...